0: Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Absolutely absurd performance by the Cowboys last night, and in a lot of ways absurd by the Washington football team as well. It's Chris Garland, Courtney Cronin, in for Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio and on Sirius XM Channel 80, and of course, on your smart speakers. We are presented by Progressive Insurance, and all guests appear via the Goodyear hotline. More on the Giants situation, as you heard just a few moments ago. In eight minutes, we'll be joined by Matthias Kiwanuka, the former Giant defensive end, in just a bit. Last night, though, Sunday night football, the Cowboys absolutely destroy, destroy the Washington football team 56 to 14. They clinch the division. And right now, you look in the NFC and you've got clinching uh, happening all over the place with the Bucs clinching their division as well you've got five teams that are right now in the postseason yet we look at the Packers and they continue to roll at 12 and three and they are in that top spot in the NFC so Courtney I put the question to you based off what we saw over the weekend from all of those teams involved are you taking the Green Bay Packers in the NFC or are you taking the field
1: I'm not much of a gambler. Like, my brain wants to tell me, take more bites at the apple, Courtney. You have a better shot at winning instead of pushing all your chips onto one team. But I can't help right now but not push all my chips onto the Green Bay Packers. I think what we've seen from Aaron Rodgers in this stretch where they've gone 4-1 and one over their last five, 16 touchdowns, no interceptions, over you know nearly 1,600 passing yards in this stretch— they're getting hot at the right time. They look really good. And I know that he got stepped on again and we're worried about his toe and he'll probably show it on Zoom this week and then we'll be like, Oh my god, it's toe gate again. But I think that the Packers are unstoppable right now. Because I don't know what version of when you're talking about teams that have clinched, I don't know what version I'm gonna get of the Arizona Cardinals. They've lost three straight. I mean, they're lucky to still be in this thing at this moment. I don't know what version of the Los Angeles Rams I'm gonna get I watched Matthew Stafford nearly give that game he put it in a bow and gave it to Anthony Barr in the Minnesota Vikings defense yesterday I don't know what version of Dallas I mean you and I talked about this pre-show last night before Sunday night football kicked off and I was wondering what vet Dallas team you're going to get Washington is not a good football team right now there's a lot going on their defense is nowhere close to where it was earlier in the season did they still lay a smackdown on them Absolutely, and that should be taken into consideration. But can we see this Dallas team consistently look this good offensively? And, I mean, yeah, Tampa. I mean, if you're throwing them in the field, too, they're fine. Like, they they can overcome injuries and all of that. I just have a lot of faith in what Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are doing right now. Think about the way that they got past the Browns. They were 3-10 on third down on Sun on that Saturday night game. They didn't look awesome, like, you know, by and large in those third and long situations. Yet, because they've got the MVP playing quarterback for them, they're just fine. So I'm I'm going with the Packers. Are you going to take the field?
0: I'm going to take the field right now, but it's not because I feel particularly great about anybody. The Cowboys, I think they look like, look, maybe, maybe I'm making too much off of one game. They have won four straight, and their defense has played much better, mm-hmm. which actually is the more encouraging point to me. We can get more into whether or not Dak was actually in a slump because he doesn't think that he was as we'll hear in a minute. But I, I I had some restored faith or renewed faith in Dallas in the way in which they have won over the last few games because of their defense. I have zero faith in the Cardinals right now. I have shaky faith in the Rams, even though I've been a big Rams guy uh, all year because Matthew Stafford was atrocious yesterday. Yeah. And and just in talking to people out there this year, the feeling has been listen, Matthew Stafford is great and he's a good fit with Sean McVay. And he's going to be one of those guys who's going to have a terrific season, but he in those weeks when he is bad, it is going to be really bad. And they happened to win that game yesterday but that doesn't mean they will in the postseason and i have to tell you i don't even have that much faith in the bucks i, I really don't and, and i won't go against brady because that that's really the the premise for me on this whole thing is yeah. to bet on the packers is to bet against brady and i guess in theory you got two guys you're not supposed to bet against in in rodgers and brady but um I, I don't feel great about where the Buccaneers are overall, even though they're eleven and four and clinch the division. I I think that I think they can be had. So one of those four teams to me, like not all four, are going to lay an egg in the postseason. I expect one of them to be able to push the Packers to the brink.
1: I just worry about like which version of these teams you're going to get. Like, you laid forth all of the weaknesses for all of these groups. I know, and, and I, I, it I'm scares me <laughs> because they're so vulnerable. Like, when they when they show the, their weaknesses, they're not just like something that are like just like a little blip on the radar. It can last. Like, look at Dallas's offensive concerns that lasted for three, four games in spite of them winning. We are still worried about the drops with the receivers. We are still worried about 10 other players letting Dak Prescott down and wondering if your defense predicated off turnovers is enough to carry you into the postseason. It's not like these are, like, small little things. Like, Arizona, I cannot figure out what's wrong with their offense right now. And Kyler Murray said it them himself on Saturday night. They're killing themselves. Like... That doesn't sound like a team that I want to have a lot of faith in going into the postseason, <laughs> a team that like literally admits like yeah, we're literally self-sabotaging right now. Great idea. Um but with the Packers, I mean we're talking so much about Aaron Rodgers, what about that defense? Like we're I mean in, in thinking how like you know, depleted their secondary has been in moments this season and players that they've had to play without. I think defensively, that's probably my only question mark, but I've seen them play up close. I saw them play Minnesota back, I think it was like week 12, week 11, something like that, and I was worried about their defense in that game because of how Kirk Cousins was able to pick them apart on some of these quick drives, but Rasul Douglas is playing. I mean, Aaron Rodgers gave him like the MVP-type shout-out yesterday saying that you know he's one of the superstars on their team as well. What a way to revive your career, by the way. Um and beyond that, I think defensively they can pressure quarterbacks. They can cover on the back end. They're in a pretty good spot.
0: They are, they are, and I, they are, they are in a better spot than we are used to seeing them in. You know, we're used to the Packers being about Aaron Rodgers, mm-hmm. and, and that's it. Like this is a group that I actually have faith in a little bit, and. I know this sounds like I'm actually making the case more for the Packers than for the other four teams. It's just when I'm, when I'm taking four other teams against one that I think is still capable of losing in the playoffs, I think they all have their vulnerabilities, even though the Packers are playing exceptionally well right now. Look at the Cowboys last night, and you throw up 56. Frankly, as good as they looked – I put more stock in the notion that it was about Washington. the Washington football mm-hmm. team being awful. I put more stock in that, Courtney. And as far as the slump is concerned, here's Dak Prescott after the game asked if it's actually over.
2: You tell me. I never said we were in a slump. Uh, those were your words, so um, I think it would be hard for you to say that now. Yeah, tonight tonight was great. Great performance by the offense, great performance by the team. I mean, scoring on all three phases, um, scoring by all the different ways that we did on offense. Um, yeah, uh, great team win, great great team effort.
0: Look, they're, they're a bad team that they played last night and a team that has really kind of fallen apart late in the year and has had really, really – Difficult things. The COVID situation, uh, five days in between games, um, and obviously the whole situation, as tragic as it is, um, with uh, uh, Everett, the safety the other day with the car accident and uh, losing somebody in that. It's just been a bizarre situation here for Washington for the last few weeks. But now um, I think that probably had a lot more to do with Washington looking really bad as opposed to the Cowboys looking amazing.
1: Yeah, but the thing with Dallas, they didn't leave anything in doubt. They were given a window to steamroll this team, and they did it. Like, it wasn't just like, you know, a one-possession game or what have you. Like, they left not everything out there, which I think is great, but – I've said this all along with the NFC versus the AFC in the playoff picture. There's 24 teams. Remember, alive with still st- like two weeks left of the season. That's a unheard- that's unheard of. Like we have not seen this much parity in the NFL ever. I-, I wouldn't think, but the NFC has always kind of been this top-heavy group where it's the Packers, the Cowboys, the Rams, the Bucks, the Cardinals, and then there's everybody else. It is such a closer race from the field in the AFC. like To me, it's the Chiefs, and then it's the field. But the, the difference between where teams stand in the field, I know we had Rex Ryan on. He said he was watching the Tennessee Titans. Careful with Tennessee. They're dangerous right now. The Bengals are dangerous right now, in spite of playing a really depleted secondary and defense for the Ravens yesterday. The Bills are obviously dangerous. I think the Colts are one of the most legit teams in the overall NFL picture right now. So... I'd be if we were doing this argument like on the AFC side of things, I'd be much more confident taking the field because I think there's less deficiencies with those teams versus the Chiefs. I mean, again, they're head and shoulders above everybody else, but the NFC is different. There is a big gap between a lot of the the rest of the teams from like the top-heavy ones to the bottom.
0: It's going to be. I'll tell you what. This year, more than any, um, as much as we talk about uh, the Chiefs versus everybody else. And the Packers, I do think that we will hit one or two of those surprises in the postseason because we always seem – to do it. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Try the $45 Silver Unlimited Plan from Straight Talk Wireless with Nationwide 5G on America's best network. Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. See terms and conditions at straighttalk.com. 5G capable device required. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary.
2: Joe Judge and Daniel Jones are going to be brought back to the Giants for next year. It's pretty clear that Judge and Daniel Jones have a very good working relationship. I would be shocked if either one of them was not with the New York Giants next year.
0: It seems like a foregone conclusion at this point, but is it the right thing to do? Chris Garland, Courtney Cronin for Keyshawn J. Will and Max. On ESPN Radio, Dr. Pepper, call in line, join us, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Right now, we welcome in former giant Matthias Kiwanuka, does a show every Sunday on ESPN New York, 98.7, who joins us right now. Matthias, it's Chris and Courtney, we appreciate a few minutes, and when we hear that it sounds like a foregone conclusion that Joe Judge and Daniel Jones are going to be back next year, Do you believe it's the right move for the organization?
2: Yeah, I believe that bringing Joe Judge back is the right move for the organization right now. Um, What he was asked to do, in my opinion, was to change the culture, to clean up the locker room, and and to make the storyline about football. And I believe that he did that. Now, he's still... Is you know he still has a lot of things left that he has to deliver, but I think it would have been premature to move away from him right now. Um, I think next year is going to be his show year. He's going to have to put up some significant numbers, and they're going to have to win some games. When it comes to Daniel Jones, to be honest with you, I, I just believe that there's there's just not enough. Um, information to say uh, yes we should have brought him back or no we shouldn't have I think you bring him back unless you have um, a viable option or a replacement and if they don't feel like they they had a a way to go in another direction then then it makes sense but um, I would have been okay either way nothing personal to him I think Daniel Jones is a you know he's a a great talent I believe he has a future in the league regardless of where it is for whatever reason it just hasn't worked out in New York thus far but he's going to get one more shot.
1: Matthias, you, you mentioned how Joe Judge was brought in to bring the storyline back to being, you know, surrounding football, but. Haven't we kind of been looking at this team as a punchline for a lot of different things this year, whether it was all the stuff that happened in training camp with, you know, the fights and practices and, you know, running gassers after practice, the pushups, all of that. And then on top of that, just like some of the undisciplined play, the special teams play from a special teams head coach, that's supposed to be his expertise, yet that hasn't translated to the games. Or do you think that still falls under the football umbrella?
2: I think it still falls in the football brothers. Funny, you brought it up. I mean, the the punch, you know, Kadarius' punch, I mean, that was – Probably one of the most significant things. I think that the storylines that happen. Look, it's not. It's not good. I'm not. I'm not saying that the situation is is good. What I'm saying is that we're not dealing with people being arrested. We're not dealing with people throwing punches at each other on the sidelines. We're not dealing with those things. There are a lot of things that need to get done. There are a lot of changes that still need to be made. You know, everybody needs to be evaluated, coaching staff and every individual player. This team, the way that it looks right now, is not going to be the same team that comes back next year and nor should it be? What I what I'm saying is that there's an opportunity now to focus on football. It's bad football. get me wrong. It was bad football all year long. There were tons and tons of mistakes. There's um, you know p- problems at almost every position. Um, so a lot of things need to change. A lot of things need to be fixed. Um, you know I was I was holding out throughout the entire year to you know remain positive and and to not be another. You know, part of the noise in the background that's calling for jobs prematurely. But at this point, it is time to evaluate. I think it's, it's, we've entered into that point where okay, it's, it's it's okay to say it. Hey, there's no hard feelings. This is the NFL. We need to get our best 11 guys on both sides of the ball in the field, and we need to get our best coaches on the sideline. And if you're not capable of doing it in this system, that doesn't mean that you're not capable of playing in the NFL. It just means that you don't fit here, and everybody needs to be evaluated, coaches on down.
0: Matthias Kiwanuka joining us. It's Chris Carlin, Courtney Cronin in for Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. And he joins us via the Goodyear hotline. Okay, so with all of that in mind, what are priorities one and two in in your estimation for Joe Judge to change next year to have better success?
2: Part of part of it is outside of his control. I believe that you know the front office needs to be solidified. Is Gettleman coming back? Is is he not? What um, decisions is Joe Judge going to be allowed to make in terms of the personnel that's there? There needs to be installed a offensive system, and once you install that offensive system, then you need to decide what players are going to be featured in it. I mean, we can talk about the weapons that he has that Daniel Jones is going to have at his disposal. We can talk about the the running back situation, but I don't think that we can... unless you're going to build around a player or a group of players, then the system needs to be installed and then the players need to be fit in after that. And then the development of Daniel Jones, the development of a quarterback is one of the most important things. I think the defense made strides, but they're not where they need to be. Um, I would like to see some, some veteran players brought in at almost every level of the defense D line linebackers and, and um, you know, and DBs as well and, and get a little bit more veteran leadership regardless of whether or not, not they understand the giant way or if they understand the system right away bringing in older players and veteran players who understand how to work how to take care of their bodies how to how to compete you know when when you watch the defense there's so many guys who are standing around the pile when when the ball is tackled everybody should be leaving their feet every single time the they you know to get the the runner on the ground and i think those are things that that you learn by watching how the older players, how the, the players who have been around the league for a long time do it.
1: Matthias, how difficult do you think it's going to be? And granted, it is late December. Maybe the mayor of a family changes their mind and they want to clean house and they and they want a new head coach. At the same time, they'd be hiring a GM. But how difficult of a task and how difficult do you think it'll be to find a GM if they want to go and find an external candidate that's want that's going to want to come in and already have to work with a head work with a head coach who's already there, who might be a lame duck head coach, or might be somebody that is there on a short term extension that he might not want, he or she might not want to work with, or might not see eye to eye with. Doesn't that kind of feel like that's a recipe that might not be the best one, where you don't have two people coming in on the same wavelength with the same plan? Do you see like how do you see how that could like potentially like not work out?
2: I could see I can see how it could not work out. I don't think that it's going to make the right GM candidate shy away from this job. Yeah, this is this is the New York Football Giants and the Giants are in bad shape right now. If you come in as a GM and you're responsible for turning around this organization, that's a that's a life changer right there. That's something that, you know, they'll talk about for for generations. So, I think the right person with the right amount of confidence is is still going to want this job. I don't think that you're married to Joe Judge forever. Um, I believe that he's already had a couple you know he's not going to have an extended lease so if they bring a new guy in right now yeah he's he's married to him for the immediate future but Joe Judge is not going to be there the entire his entire um, uh, term unless he decides that he is so I think it's still a very very um, appealing job. Um, but it's difficult. It's going to be difficult, but the right person is not going to shy away from this job. I just think is is the right person available right now. Uh, They have to scour. They have to go and and look and do their homework. And and at this point, I believe that they, you know, it's reported that they already have been. So if they feel like they have the right candidate in a, um, in a GM, then everything else will fall into place.
0: You know, Matthias. last one, you know, you talk at the beginning about how this is the New York football giants, hasn't that mentality kind of gotten their way in a little bit over the last 10 years and not adapting here moving forward because it feels like all right it's the giants but the way that they've been doing things doesn't work anymore
2: In what in what way how do you, how do you, what do you mean has well, it gotten because, their way
0: all right for instance just they've always wanted to hire people that had a certain either connection to the organization or that are a certain way as if Joe judge kind of feels like he would be that giant kind of head coach. Maybe it's time to start thinking outside the giants box.
2: See, I, I mean, I understand that the optics look that way. I don't feel as though at this point, um, ownership would be locked into to finding somebody that is, that has ties to the organization. I think, um, I think they would be willing to go outside and think outside the box. I don't. I don't know that um, they would do that necessarily with a, a coach. I don't think they they want a um, a renegade type coach or anything like that. I think these are decisions that are made with the interest of like the the longevity of the organization. So to struggle for a year or two. I mean, it's been a long time. Don't even, don't misconstrue it. To struggle for a while while you're trying to build the foundation, I think is. Is, is kind of the mentality, right? So we've been struggling, or the Giants have been struggling. Um, in my opinion, the foundation has been built, the locker room has been changed. Now it's time to go out and and get performers. It's time to go out and, and get some dogs. It's time to go out and get some some pure athletes with the understanding that, yeah, there there may be um, some issues with them, but we'll be able to to maintain the overall culture. It's not going to overrun the building. So I don't I don't think that the Giants necessarily um, are going to be stuck in that in that same mentality. I just I, I don't see it being realistic because I don't see them winning without going outside the box. To be honest with you, I think I think it's it's time that um, that you know decisions are made to um, just help get some wins. You know, basically.
0: My Matthias, appreciate the insight. Great stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Matthias Kiwanuka, former Giant, uh, joining us here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. It's Chris Carlin Courtney Cronin. And for the fellas today, one big win for the Queen City yesterday. Are they going to make it two for two?
4: G-Sean, J-Will, and Max, the podcast. Joe has the ball, drops back three steps. He fires,
0: and it is caught by T. Higgins. Touchdown, Bengals. hauls in Burroughs' fourth touchdown pass of the game. It's the first time in Joe Burroughs' NFL career he's thrown four or more. Everything's turning up Bengals. All right, maybe not quite, but still, they are... In prime position in the AFC North, Chris Carlin, Courtney Cronin in for Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance, and all guests appear via the Goodyear hotline. That's where we go right now to welcome in Tony Pike of ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati, the former Cincinnati Bearcats quarterback. He joins us right now, and Tony, it's Chris and Courtney on ESPN Radio, so... How impressed were you with Joe Burrow's 525 yard performance yesterday?
5: I mean, to, to be honest, it, it was one of the most impressive performances I can remember watching from a quarterback in this in this league. Uh, I mean, if you look at you know just the, the the picture of where Joe Burrow was a year ago, and there's videos of him on Christmas, and he's just coming out of surgery. Um, the, the question in Cincinnati was, could Joe Burrow? Play football this year could Joe Burrow start the regular season would there be any limitations and here we are a year later we're talking about Joe Burrow against the Baltimore Ravens throwing for 525 yards we're talking about the Cincinnati Bengals have swept the Steelers and the Ravens in the same season and going into the new year the uh the Cincinnati Bengals atop the AFC North it is uh it's been truly remarkable
1: was this the best game of his NFL career cuz I remember dating back to the 49ers game we were wondering then but statistically speaking these numbers stand apart full package though do you think that this was the best Joe Burrow we've seen in the NFL
5: Yeah and and I do think that that he had that little bit of a spark from Wink Martindale in his comments earlier in the week but it's just a uh, it, it's an aura about how Joe Burrow plays the game and and how he elevates his teammates you know you go back to that San Francisco game uh, if if the ball isn't taken out of his hands at the end of the game, we're talking about Joe Burrow leading an un- improbable comeback. Right, 14 points down in the fourth quarter, he comes back and leads his team. They fall just short, but from a complete standpoint, from start to finish, it, it's the most clean that that we've seen Joe Burrow. And you know, it, it, as we're we're looking at that here in Cincinnati, you go back, you look at the cast of characters on offense: Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase all under contract through 2023. So it, it really does feel like the start, the tip of the iceberg for what this offense can be more consistently.
0: Tony Pike joining us. here of ESPN Radio 1530 in Cincinnati. Tony, what's your biggest concern with the Bengals right now?
5: You know, they just go through laws sometimes on offense. Uh, and they start slow at times. You know, you look at where this team was. They beat Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago, and they've got huge opportunities against the Chargers and the 49ers back-to-back at home. And they go down 24 nothing to the Chargers before getting back into that game. And then they are just riddled by turnovers against the San Francisco 49ers. If they're playing their best, I really do think this roster is one of the best in the AFC. They've they've invested on defense. The defense is so much improved. Um, but they've been careless. As good as we've talked about Joe Burrow being, he's been sacked a bunch. He's turned the ball over a bunch. So there are things to clean up. But the the feeling now is if this team doesn't shoot themselves in the foot, they have a chance to go out and win each game.
1: I want to touch on what you said defensively. The only blemish I think you can really look at from this game against the Ravens yesterday was maybe their third down defense. There are a couple third and long situations that they were in that they allowed the Ravens to convert, but they are going against the Chiefs team next week that went 4-11 on third down. So maybe there's some silver lining there and some motivation they can take into that game. But how do you think they fix that? Like, is there, has there anything that's been talked about, about that being kind of this bugaboo for this team?
5: Outside of Trey Hendrickson, um, they need to be better at rushing the passer. And that has been a problem for them, specifically on third downs, is that once Trey Hendrickson is neutralized or doubled, who's going to be the next guy to step up? You know, this team has, over the past two seasons, has invested heavily on that defensive side of the ball with Trey Hendrickson, Larry Ogunjobi, DJ Reeder, uh, you think of a Woozie was brought into the secondary, Mike Hilton, Von Bell. All of those additions have paid off. They just need to find ways that they can get after the passer with just four. Once they have to start committing more people to the pass rush, it does leave them vulnerable in the secondary. But you know, from a consistency standpoint, they've been pretty solid all year long, and uh, and Trey Hendrickson has certainly been a huge catalyst for that.
0: Tony Pike, ESPN, 1530 in Cincinnati, the former Bearcats quarterback. And, of course, they're up next on Friday, Tony, as they take on Alabama in uh, the Cotton Bowl. So with that being the case, how are people feeling about the Bearcats right now being a heavy underdog in this game and going into this game? What's the feeling around them right now?
5: You know, there's a lot of people in Cincinnati that have a an optimism about this game. And I, and I think from a national level, I don't think people realize uh, much of what the Bearcats possess. And you look at that game, they went on the road, they beat Notre Dame by double digits. That was probably two good quarters of football. I mean, they, they have rarely played four good quarters this year. And while that's a concern, it also leaves reason for hope because they, they're going to lose 30 players after this season They've got six players going to the Senior Bowl. They've got eight or nine guys that are going to be drafted. Um, the feeling for me um, is if you can get past the name on that jersey and who's coaching the team on the other sideline, because that's a big part of this, right? You're you're in Dallas. That's Nick Saban. It's Alabama. It's the Heisman Trophy winner. I think from an X's and O standpoint, they match up well. Because you look at Bryce Young and Jamison Williams, well, the the strength of the Bearcats is their secondary. They've got a consensus All American and Sauce Gardner. They've got the Thorpe winner and Kobe Bryant both anchoring that secondary. Offensively, Des Ritter is projected to be a first or second round pick at quarterback. Jerome Ford, the running back, started his career at Alabama. Uh, they have matchups on the outside offensively that they can exploit. And I do think it helps them that they went toe-to-toe with Georgia last year in that Peach Bowl. So, you know, there's not this naive feeling that they're going to go and take care of business easy. It would take UC's best game um, to have them given a chance in the fourth quarter. But if they do play that, I do think they can can go toe-to-toe with Alabama.
1: They were undefeated this season. Luke Fickle has been with the Bearcats since the 2017 season. We know that he's gotten some looks for other jobs elsewhere, even in the NFL, getting looked at by the Detroit Lions last year. Two-part question here. I mean, do you think that the NFL is still a goal of his? Do you think that after this season, regardless what might happen. He might look to take on a bigger job somewhere else and do what he did at Cincinnati elsewhere. And on top of that, what do you think he's meant to this Cincinnati program that's now playing on the biggest stage in college football?
5: Well, I'll start with the second. He has brought a sense of security to this job. If you go back to to Cincinnati football and their history, Mark D'Antonio, Brian Kelly, Butch Jones, all left great impacts on the city of Cincinnati and on this football program, but they all used it to get to the next step. Um, they tried to, to get around that when they hired Tommy Tupperville, who had already kind of been at the top, and then they, they, they kind of saw the results of where that led. So they give Luke Fickle the chance, and he has brought this family feel. He has brought this blue-collar, blue uh, go-to-work. He's recruited Ohio heavily. He is, uh, he's, he's meant so much, and now they're, they're working on an indoor facility, He's changed this program in so many ways. And, and to answer the first part, you know, I, I think there's always going to be a concern at Cincinnati um, because every time another job has come up we've heard Luke Fickle's name attached to it, right? I mean, you look at the jobs that have been open, Notre Dame, USC, LSU, every one of these jobs, Luke Fickle's name is thrown around, and yet here we are going into 2022 and Luke Fickle still the head coach at the University of Cincinnati. He's got a huge family. His family loves it here. His son is a, uh, is an offensive lineman on this team. who has got three years left. I, I truly do feel that that Luke Fickle is here to stay. And I think down the road, he'll be interested in, in the NFL jobs, but I think he really enjoys where he's at right now. He enjoys his staff. And this is a program that in 2023 is gonna be heading into the Big Twelve. So more opportunities come with that. I think Luke Fickle's in a great spot.
0: Tony, appreciate it very much. Big week in Cincinnati. Then follow it up Sunday, Kansas City in town. Thanks again for the time.
5: I appreciate you guys. Thank you.
0: Tony Pike, ESPN fifteen thirty in Cincinnati. The Goodyear Cotton Bowl and Capital One Orange Bowl are this week's hot ticket brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase, Vivid Seats Rewards your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats. Life happens live. Chris Carlin, Courtney Cronin, and for Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, it's the Saints and Dolphins on Monday Night Football. And the Saints reached out to...
3: Wait, what? They reached out to who? To play quarterback? That's next. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do.
4: Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L E C T R I C ebikes.com. The Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max Podcast.
0: Chris Carlin, Courtney Cronin in for Jay, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. On ESPN Radio and on your smart speaker by saying play ESPN Radio. There's Monday Night Football Preview brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Saints and the Dolphins tonight. There's there's some irony in there, a little bit, because there was a story late last week that the New Orleans Saints, prior to signing Blake Bortles, actually reached out to Drew Brees, to see if he had any interest in coming back as kind of an emergency quarterback for the Saints. They apparently also might have reached out to Phillip Rivers uh, as well to see where his head was at uh, before signing um, Blake Bortles, as we said. I See, that's something, Courtney. If that had happened, like that would legit bum me out. Like, just let it be what it is. There's no need to add a little what you think is a cherry on top of the Sunday when in actuality it's like putting a, a pickle on top of the Sunday or something you just would never want.
1: I just thought it was it was funny, considering the circumstances that they would throw this Hail Mary to try to get Drew Brees to come out of retirement for a game, right? Mm. Yeah. Like, I, I can't see I can't see it going beyond that. But, man, it's – I had a feeling this would happen. I think Amber Wilson and I were co-hosting Greeny on Friday when it's like, man, top two quarterbacks are out, fourth-round pick Ian Book, it's your moment, and you don't have anybody else on the roster. So, of course, they were going to go and have to sign some veteran free agent backup, and it turns out to be Blake Bortles. But there was a part of me that wished it would have been Drew Brees. There really was. Like, I wanted to see it happen because when has that – can you name anything off the top of your head? Like, in football, when has that happened? I mean, yeah, we've seen it in baseball. Guys coming, you know, doing that every once in a while. And now, you know, with the replacement players in the NBA, you're seeing Joe Johnson get another shot at at glory at 40 years old. But to see Drew Brees, who knows this offense – Come back and get to play in this game and keep the Saints' playoff hopes alive. I was kind of secretly hoping for it. I love a good storyline, and it's not even a comeback story. It's just like, you know, an awesome story of hey, this guy can still do it. I mean, you can't you, not for an eighteen game, eighteen week schedule, but he could do it for one game. Uh, I'm all
0: for it. I don't know if he ends up in that game. See, I don't want to see it because I don't want to see him just get absolutely demolished. <laughs> When you haven't played all year and your head has not been in it, it's hard to imagine. Like, even if you're the emergency guy, the emergency can happen. And if you're there and and in that, I just don't want to see that for a legendary figure in the history of the organization. And I give Breeze credit for saying no, because... The easier thing would have been somewhat to say yes. And I say there was irony involved because it is the Dolphins who he originally wanted to play for and sign with when Nick Saban was there and the Saints, who, of course, he ended up going and setting all these incredible records with. Monday Night Preview is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Pet protection comes free with auto collision coverage. Visit Progressive.com. Antonio Brown going off yesterday, and then after the game, uh, after he had ten catches for 101 yards, uh, popped off a little bit as well when Jenna Lane, who covers the Bucks for ESPN Radio or for ESPN uh, NFL Nation, excuse me, uh, dared ask him about his situation. Here's Jenna and uh, that whole exchange yesterday with Antonio Brown.
3: Coach Arians had told you when you came to this team, you know, you screw up one time and, and you're done. And some people would deem what happened as a screw up, but Coach Arians stood by your side and, and he brought you back. Just what did it mean for you after being here for a year to have a coach Next question. standing in your corner? Next question. We just want to talk about his game. We don't want to waste no time with you guys writing bogus. Respectfully, respectfully, Antonio, we haven't talked to you yet. We haven't talked to you yet. I don't want to talk about that. You you guys, is all drama. It's all about football. We we didn't talk about Carolina. I don't want to talk to you guys.
1: Uh, Okay. All right. We can talk about Carolina. I don't want to talk to you guys. That's a real mature way to handle things.
0: Here's one quickly for you, though. This is from Peter King this morning. Bruce Arians on the whole one and done bit. When you and I talked last year, we were talking about old experiences. He came to us. He was a model citizen. There was a new history, and he goes on from there. Come on.
1: Come on. Different rules for different players. Players who are much more impactful to your team are going to have to play by a different set of standards. But good for Jenna Lane. Again, I also love, like, she's definitely using her millennial card right now with the whole respectfully thing. Like, that's a good line that she threw in there to, to let Antonio Brown know that she does not play. So good for you for holding his feet to the fire on that. Well,
0: he, he, he just looked like a jackass in the moment, and it was unnecessary on his part and it's what always drives me nuts in those spots it's such a simple answer and they just end up choosing the wrong route with it but the bucks win their division thanks in large part to brown's performance yesterday it's Keyshawn j will and max on espn radio thanks for listening to Keyshawn j will and max the podcast check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 eastern on espn radio